It is so exciting to be able to be here with you all today. I see a few familiar faces. Um, most do not know me, but I am a new pastor over at Trinity, and um, I used to live in the Atlanta area and worked up at Wesleyan School. So as I was driving here, I saw Mount Vernon, and I'm like, oh, people used to talk about that. And Sandy Springs, people used to talk about that. And I lived in Norcross. Um, and moved away to live in the Dominican Republic, um, and then came back for seminary in the Boston area, and then now I'm back in Atlanta. Um, this whole, for me, I move a lot, um, and I've done so in my adulthood, but I also did growing up. And what moving a lot did for me is that I was around a lot of different denominations, um, different socioeconomic classes, um, and also around a lot of different cultures. I grew up around people from the Caribbean, um, black people, white people, um, and moved throughout Georgia, Florida, and Louisiana. And although that is true, I will say my childhood church foundation was rooted in the Black Baptist Church. My early childhood memories are ones of singing along to spirituals, that were written during slave time and listening to sermons preached with passion. I was raised hearing congregational hallelujahs and amens in a call and response environment. And I remember women sometimes standing up and raising their hands or their fans in affirmation of the preached word of God or the truth saying in a gospel song. As a child and possibly even as an adult, I would look at them wondering what propelled them to raise their hand or to stand up or to say amen or hallelujah. I can also remember living in the Dominican Republic where I had the opportunity to teach songs of praise to the Lord to little kids during vacation Bible school. And I remember little faces staring at me, seated on wooden benches in a small church. And they would shout, Allelu, 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 Alleluia, Gloria a Dios, Glory to God. And every time that they would say, Gloria a Dios, their bodies would rise, hands in the air. And there would be this up and down movement. And I can remember the rush of excitement as the unair-conditioned, small, one-roomed church felt like it was shaking, and the giggles and the laughter as they sang songs of praise. As I think back to those two images, the one word that comes to mind is joy. Today is known as Gaudete Sunday. Gaudete is the Latin word that means rejoice. In some senses, it feels like a pivot, like a surprise. There's something different about this Sunday. The rose-colored candle is different than the rest. I like the tradition that we have to light not just the joy candle, but the peace candle and the hope candle as well. 
It's as though the joy that we have as Christians is deeply integrated with the hope and the peace that we get from Jesus. It's a joy that surpasses all understanding as we wait in this time of already but not yet. In preparation for today, I contemplated Mary's song, also known as the Magnificat. I began to ponder the force that would have propelled her to have so much joy, to have responded in the way that she did. I believe that through Mary's song, we can remember to rejoice while we wait. In the beginning of Mary's song, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. I believe that Mary's spirit rejoiced because she heard and she believed the good news. Before she sang, she heard the good news through the angel Gabriel. The text says that Mary was told by the angel, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. The child to be born will be holy. He will be called son of God. And Mary heard that good news and she believed it so much that she went to her relative Elizabeth. And Elizabeth's reaction is interesting because she has an inward reaction. John the Baptist, the baby in her womb, he leaps. And then Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, proclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. I imagine that Mary's song, kind of like the women with their hands lifted up, came as a spontaneous outburst like the soda in a shaken up Coke bottle when the cap is removed. Her two encounters seemed to be what propelled her to bubble over with joy. And as a result of her accepting the prophetic words of the angel and the Holy Spirit's words through Elizabeth, Mary just couldn't contain herself. And so she sang. And I believe that this song of Mary invites us to rejoice in the waiting. It's a beautiful example of what can happen when our spirit catches a glimpse of God's good news. And when we hear it and we actually believe it. My question to you today is how do you respond to God's good news? Not only did Mary's spirit rejoice because she heard good news, but she also rightly understood God's grace. She understood the distinction, the distinction between herself and God. She sings saying that God is her savior and that he is mighty and that he is holy. These are all words that are used to describe God. She understood that he was divine and that she was not. She was human. She was someone in need of a savior. She was a sinner just like you and I. 
And yet she understood that she had received divine favor. Favor in Greek is charis, which means grace. The angel had told her that she had found favor with God, and she recognized that as well. Favor, it was a free gift, something she did not deserve, something she hadn't earned because of her good behavior. It was something freely given to her by God. In fact, when the angel Gabriel approached her, Luke records that Mary was troubled in her spirit. She was surprised. She was confused. Favor? Who am I to receive God's favor? Who am I to have the honor of carrying the Son of God? Mary then describes herself as God's lowly uh, servant. Servant's a word that's used in Israel, for Israel throughout the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, it's used for God's people. It's also used to describe Jesus as prophesied by Isaiah and in Philippians 2. Jesus was the ultimate servant. He was humble. Humble enough to leave heaven and come down to earth to be with us. He was obedient, obedient to the point of death on the cross so that you and I could live. Mary, when she uses this word servant, she's showing her obedience and her humility. She understood God's grace. She had received it because of her faith in him. I don't know about you, but when I think about that word grace, it's a little hard for me to understand. I find it hard to grasp because we live in a world where favors aren't free. And we live in a world where we have to work for people to love us and even like us. And yet God doesn't work that way. All he wants for us is to believe in him. And here we get a glimpse into the life of one of God's servants who grasped grace. The result was an overwhelming joy. She would be called blessed because of what God had done for her. Can you all resonate with God showing Mary favor? Have you received a gift from God that you did not deserve? I imagine all of us have. So Mary rejoiced because of having received good news and because I believe she had a right understanding of grace. And also, I think that her spirit rejoiced because she understood God to be merciful and faithful. God's mercy expressed in her song reflects his upside-down kingdom. Mercy, she says, that he had on those who fear him in every generation. Mercy means kindness or compassion for those in need. Mary sings because she recognizes God's mercy towards those who loves him. She sees his strength and his justice, his kindness towards the humble, and his compassion for the poor. 
She sings because she knows that her God is the helper of her people. God's kingdom, it's an upside-down kingdom where there is justice for the marginalized. The humble are elevated, the poor are cared for. And she talks about Abraham as well. She talks about a God who is faithful, a God who keeps his promises. He kept his promise to Abraham. That promise is recorded in Genesis 12. He tells Abraham that through him, all families on the earth will be blessed. And later in Genesis 17, God promises that through his offspring, God would make an everlasting covenant, one that ensured God's presence with them. He later talked to David in 2 Samuel 7, and he makes a covenant with him. David is Abraham's descendant, and he ensures that through his offspring, his kingdom would be firmly established. It would be made sure. Jesus' birth was to fulfill God's promises, and Mary understood that. She understood that God was being faithful in the present through the baby in her womb. God's promises were being kept and his prophecies fulfilled. She believed the Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, behold, she will bear a son and call him Emmanuel. She believed the angel Gabriel's words, your son will be the son of God. Your son will have the throne of David. Your son will reign forever. Your son will be holy. And Mary believed, too, that God would remain faithful in the future. In her song, she proclaims that he would keep his promise to Abraham from generation to generation. He would have mercy on those who feared him forever. We read Isaiah's words earlier, and it's really interesting because after this point, we have John the Baptist, who's in jail, and he asks his disciples, is this the Messiah, the one who is to come? And Jesus tells the disciples to tell John, which is something that was prophesied in Isaiah, Tell them, tell them what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to him. These were the words already prophesied by, Messiah, by um, Isaiah. Can you all imagine the wonder, the joy that Mary must have felt as she was beginning to grasp her new reality. The Son of God is in my womb. Dan Allender, in his book on Sabbath, writes that nothing in creation opens the heart to the presence of beauty like the incarnation. God became flesh. Jesus is both fully God and fully human. It's beyond our grasp, yet the incarnation throws us into wonder and delight. For God to become human means that humanity is brimming with the full presence 
of God. Jesus is the full perfection of humanity, and he calls us to humanity, to a humanity that is full and alive. I think that Mary got this. Some years ago, I had the opportunity to grow tomatoes. I lived in an apartment on the second floor. I had never grown anything more than a house plant before, but I was so excited about it. And I remember the preparation, having someone build wooden troughs, buying some soil, placing the seeds deep into the dirt. And I remember the waiting, having to water them every day, wondering if they were going to be some critters, waiting for the emergence of the green sprouts. And I remember those first sprouts that came up, the dreaming of what I would cook with the fruit and who I would share it with. That time, even before seeing the first fruit on the vine, was filled with so much joy for me. There was an expectant hope in the waiting. So I've never been pregnant, but I imagine that many of you have been. Others hope to be, or at least we've all been around someone who's pregnant in the months prior to her giving birth. 40 weeks, give or take. It's a long time to wait. At the time that Mary proclaimed the greatness of God and what he had done for her, she had many months to wait and to wonder and to dream and to question and to hope. And I believe that she was able to show joy because she had a divine perspective and not a human one. This is my last point and a very important one. If we sit back and look at Mary's situation when she got this good news, might be a little bit surprising. And if we look at it from the human perspective, take God out of the picture, there's no reason to have joy. You see, Mary was a Jew. She was living under Roman control at a time when God had lifted his presence from the Jewish people for their disobedience. As a people, she, like the rest of the Jews, were without their savior. Mary was a girl. She was a virgin. She was pregnant. She was unmarried. And she was poor. I would imagine her to have been the epitome of powerlessness and vulnerability for that time. Likely, she did not know how her fiancé might have responded to her pregnancy. And even if she didn't fully understand it, the son that she was carrying would be hated and eventually killed. Let's put ourselves in Mary's shoes with the perspective of a human. What will people think? Won't they think I'm lying about being a virgin? Will Joseph even want to marry me? Who's going to take care of me? How will I support this baby? And if he is the Messiah, might he suffer? And yet Mary, she seemed to have a different 
perspective. She concentrated on God's word. She had a deep faith and a trust. She trusted the words that had been delivered through the angel and those that had been delivered through Elizabeth. And she held on to the hope and peace that came from her understanding of who God was. Her focus was not on the things like my focus is sometimes, on those, the messy parts, the things she didn't understand. But instead, her focus was on the hope that she had in God. Today, we find ourselves in this time of waiting. We're in the third week of Advent, expectantly waiting for the celebration of the day that God himself came into the world, when God became flesh. We, ex we exist somewhere between the ascension and the second coming. We know that when he came, he healed the sick and raised the dead. And yet we still yearn for the day when there will be no more hurting, when there will be justice, and when all who believe will be raised to live with him. I think what Mary's song reminds us of is that our spirits can well up with joy, even in the midst of what might not seem like the best circumstances. She invites us to rejoice in our waiting, to remember God's good news, to have the right perspective of grace, to remember that God is both merciful and faithful. He has been and he will be. Like the farmer waits for his precious crops and like the mother waits for her unborn child, may our spirits rejoice as we wait. For our merciful and faithful Lord indeed is near. Amen. invite you into a time of silent reflection as we give some space for the Holy Spirit to tap into our hearts what he's spoken today through his word.